Welcome to the Best Kept Secret videocast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity. Welcome to our show, where our guests share their provocative perspective on what their target market is missing out on. I'm happy to welcome to the show, Alex Burkhart of Zuki. Zuki is an innovation and marketing consulting firm. Alex is based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks, Jay. Really looking forward to today. One of my real passions throughout my professional career has been innovation. I have always loved working at the edge of innovation, being creative, trying to find market opportunities, which no one else has taken advantage of. I have been lucky to do this as an entrepreneur in in many different guises, but I've also done it as an employee of a large multinational corporation and in a couple of consulting firms where my focus as a partner was in helping large enterprises innovate and create new business models and spin-outs. And as I sit back and reflect innovation on what I have learned, you think that those in large enterprises would have enormous advantages over the entrepreneurs, right? Typically, money is not nearly as constrained as it is when you're an entrepreneur. You've got a brand or brands that you can leverage. You have resources that you can use, which a startup would absolutely die for. And yet, I think the evidence is overwhelming. Large enterprises really struggle with innovation compared to startups. In fact, many large enterprises don't even bother anymore. They just get out their checkbook, and when a startup starts to get traction, they buy them. And so they're buying in their innovation. They aren't even trying to do it themselves. So Alex, I know that this is an area of true expertise and experience for you. And I am wondering, given all those advantages, why do enterprises so struggle to innovate? It's because they they don't have that unique perspective that you have, Jay or myself, right? Where there's a lot of different ways to go about the process. And they've probably been in likely that corporation or that big co for the majority of their career. And so therefore, they're sometimes kind of operating in a vacuum. And they might read something in the newspaper or, or see these different or hear these different stories about how a startup or a company disrupted an industry and went from zero to a hundred million. And, and in reality, what they're not really seeing is what's happening beneath the surface and how long that process can actually take. And really the kind of strife and journey that entrepreneurs have to go through. So again, it's just a really unique perspective and there's a lot of education that needs to happen. And sometimes people need to just kind of struggle through it themselves, like anything, when they're learning something. And so therefore, uh, that's what I like to do, like you as well, Jay, is I've seen it from all different perspectives. I've seen it as an entrepreneur, as a, a, a lar- an employee at a large corporation, and in a kind of a hybrid approach as well as an entrepreneur within a larger corporation. And on top of that, 
uh, being a consultant on the topic as well, and, and furthermore, teaching a course at the university on innovation. And so even with all of that, it, it's still an ongoing process to truly dissect down what is the problem that this big company is trying to solve, who's trying to solve it, and what are their expectations ultimately from a metric perspective when they uh, put a team together to, to go after to solve that problem. And, and that equation can be very difficult, and therefore, a lot of people fail at it. So let's talk about finance and governance. When you're a startup, you're out typically raising money from professional venture investors, people who understand uh, entrepreneurs who understand startups. And they form typically a controlling interest on your board and even independent directors that a startup gets. You're looking uh, to bring people in who have expertise in the entrepreneurial world in the areas that your startup may lack. Alex, what's different about how a startup would look at finance and governance from how somebody who's trying to be a uh, an innovator or back in the day, we used to call it intrapreneuring uh, inside the large organization when it comes to finance and governance. It depends a lot by the company itself, but you know, a lot of times they're relying upon what I would call the core fundamentals, right? They're looking at a P&L, they're looking at top line revenue, what the gross margin might be, and ultimately what the profitability of the business is. In comparison to a large venture capitalist, or a company that's trying to grow exponentially fast, they might not care about those fundamentals and they might be focused on a key performance indicator or something that they define as the ability for the company to be successful as if they hit these key metrics. And sometimes profitability might be thrown completely out of the equation because they believe at a larger or a later state in time that they can monetize on that accordingly. And so getting a company comfortable enough to say, hey, what is our our true intention here. Do we want to grow quickly? Therefore, do we need to sacrifice pro profitability? A lot of times they, they want their cake and eat it too. And therefore, they're trying to squeeze it into this equation that ultimately doesn't work because they might not be growing at the rate that they want, but they might be profitable or they might be growing at the rate they want. And then they're moving so fast that things are breaking. And then ultimately, they don't know which way is up. And they sometimes have to diverge away from the, the project because somebody's come into a new role. Someone within the finance organization is looking at something and saying, what is this line item? We need to deliver upon results. And especially if that company is a publicly traded company, that's where it gets even more complex. I've seen larger private companies sometimes be able to kind of uh, stomach through this at times. But as you know, in the public markets, things can change very quickly and therefore uh, companies have to adjust accordingly. And therefore, their original thesis, if they wanted to say we wanted to focus on a metric that didn't involve profitability, well, that might change the whole game midway through a quarter uh, when earnings need to be a certain way. Now, usually these line items aren't as large where they're going to impact it to that level. But, but sometimes just overall systemically and culturally, uh, that process can, can get really wonky depending on overall uh, setup of the company at that time. So I think you make a great point when it comes to the metric side. Let me explore for a moment with you what I'll call uh, governance and guidance and direction. In your experience, do you see the innovative organization within the large enterprise being managed, being you know the oversight, the, the governance, if you will, from other executives that you know more senior levels, but they are of 
that large enterprise compared to bringing in outsiders and saying to outsiders who have experience in ventures and how you grow ventures, we are seeding governance to people who actually know what they're doing because our skill set is managing very large enterprises who are growing at a, a fraction of the rate that we would want innovative companies that have failure rates that are a fraction of what innovative companies uh, experience. So what's your sense on how they're managed? Yeah, I mean, oftentimes I've seen it both ways, but majority of the time you have a senior level manager that is managing some part of the equation. They've been tasked or, or they're sending the message down of what they want to have uh, accomplished. And ultimately, they might not have the understanding that an outsider would have of what to properly govern and manage. And, and therefore, that can almost be the number one thing that ultimately kills it. And what's challenging is you might try to, from a consulting lens or, or whatever angle, might try to educate accordingly, but you could be too late to say, hey, this is how this is done. And they might say, well, yeah, I've seen that from the outside, but ultimately, uh, this is what my gut is telling me. And then they ultimately have to fail on their own. And that becomes very challenging because you've kind of been tasked to, to help them with that and might not be potentially listening. And then I've seen the right board be set in place and, and do kind of like your mini venture advisory board, but, it, but they often become the advisors, not the board of directors, right? Which can be very different where the board of directors actually have a say and a vote of what's going to occur, or the advisor is just going to give put an advice and that might fall in the same deaf ears that someone else was trying to tell that person from another lens and angle. And so therefore, I've seen it from both angles. I think ultimately what you want, and it's challenging, is you want someone from the outside that has done it or has, and has been successful on both sides of the equation playing that role. But oftentimes that person comes into the equation to want to be, let's call it the operator or the, the executor. And they're still having to articulate their deliverables to someone that doesn't speak their language. And so that's where it can be very difficult. But ultimately, you'll see that type of person come in and then they'll quit because they're like, I'm going to go do this on my own because money is actually not always my issue. So Alex, we have culture, we have metrics, we have finance and governance. And as you just alluded to, compensation for an entrepreneur is much more variable, much more risky, but significantly more upside than what you would find in your uh, typical operation. So with all those obstacles, uh, you wonder how any innovation occurs. So let me turn this around and ask you, so how do you deal with these things? What is it that you would recommend a large enterprise do in order to foster innovation? First and foremost, I mean, they need to start talking to their customers. And, and their customers don't always have to look like their external customers, they're their internal customers and their employee, right? And, and ask them, what is it that they're looking for? You know, what, what do they want to go out and solve? What problems exist and why do they want to solve them? And sometimes by properly getting the, the, the buy-in from their internal stakeholders, and then also you can find and navigate and, and find others from the outside to join. But, but starting from the base there and, and truly understanding you know, what gets them up every day, because that's what separates entrepreneurs sometimes from your internal you know, employees at a corporation. You're typically being tasked, hey, here's what needs to be delivered upon. Here are the insights that we're seeing. And there needs to be some level of that because you can't just take company A and solve a problem that's not completely associated to them in any regard. However, you want to try to find 
a better connection to what fulfills that person because that's what's going to get them to wake up every day and break through barriers and, and walls that are going to happen in this type of innovative process. And I ultimately find that to be one of the most important things and places to start is really sensing, asking the right questions. And then through that, you will actually hear what the customers are saying from the outside because employees of a large organization want to truly solve their customers' problems in most cases. So we have an organization that's listening intently to you. They're going to follow your... I know this is like a fantasy, right? They're going to follow your advice and recommendations. What kind of results is that going to deliver on the business that they're responsible for? I think ultimately we want to say the result is that they're going to increase their metrics and the company's going to deliver upon some kind of financial component. But I think if you take a reverse effect uh, and an output and an outlook on what we are trying to solve, it would really be around uh, attracting and retaining the right talent. Because that's that's the world we're in right now and the war for talent. And if we can find a more fulfilled person that feels like they're in a culture that's fostering innovation and it's wanting to continue to evolve for the right reasons, I think that you'll find more and more people that want to stick around. They become more fulfilled in what they're doing. And then ultimately, that will halo into any of their base work as well, even if this project fails, right? And And that's what sometimes people have to understand is that... There needs to be failures in order for this process to to work. And it's let's fail fast, let's fail forward, and let's recognize that failure. Now, again, I always say with defining failure, you want to avoid irrevocable disaster, so to speak, that you know puts you on the front page of uh, a certain news article or you have a huge issue with your your customers. And even then, sometimes there can be something underneath the surface that's beneficial in the end. But I, I think flipping the mindset that worst case, this is a learning exercise and we're going to ultimately uh, attract and retain our talent because we're, we're putting the right efforts towards these initiatives. So let's talk for a moment about the internal executive champion for innovation. So you have somebody, you know, perhaps they're uh, in the grand scheme of things, a mid-level uh, person, mid-level executive, and they're going to run with this innovative idea and try to build a business within a business. They need someone at the executive senior level to be the champion over this and to safeguard and protect them and give them the space that they need to give this a good run. Let's focus on that executive champion. When they're following your advice and when they're doing innovation correctly, what's in it for them? It's the ability to ultimately be that rock star in the end, right? And not that they're not getting that, so to speak, by going in and and, and getting promoted and doing the things that they're doing well, but they sometimes you, know, you see on the outside the world of entrepreneurship and and whatnot. You know, like people get excited about it. People write articles about it, and 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 people want to they want to go home at night and, and and talk about how they're impacting and changing the world. And so I ultimately think a lot of times that's what's amazing opportunity that some of these large companies get and these these people that are in this position to do this is is they want that in the end. And unfortunately, a lot of times they want that so badly that they're so focused on not failing that they then go into their habits of maybe what allowed them to be successful before, which was the ability to just not fail enough so they could get promoted and promoted and promoted. And they played called the small ball mentality approach. They haven't been taking the big swing. And, and, and my recommendation is if they're going to take a big swing, 
will find the right person that they think can really accomplish what they're ultimately wanting to accomplish and release them, free them, give them the resources, not the micromanagement of, hey, I see that you're behind two weeks on the project or uh, that you've spent a little bit more money here or this isn't happening here. And then ultimately you're creating a system that makes that person or that team feel a bit suffocated. And then they are going to fail because they're going to leave. You're going to have to go and recruit different people on the project. You've lost all that momentum. And in the end, you'll have done enough not to fail terribly to lose your job, but you won't have that opportunity that you ultimately wanted, which was to be that person that's going to change the game without all the risk as an entrepreneur, but within a bigger company and corporation. When you're that executive champion and, and they do it the right way, as you are suggesting, I love the idea that they're a rock star. This is sex, sex sells. And they'll be able to speak in any conference they want to speak at. They'll be featured in throughout the media as a superstar. And uh, I think for a lot of people, that would be a great outcome to have. And that all comes from setting up the right culture and environment to allow others to make a difference inside the confines of the big organization. So we're all in. We want to do this. So now, Alex... What are the concrete steps that we need to take to make this happen? My ultimate recommendation is, is this needs to be kind of fluid and organic. But at first kind of starting point, the, the decision makers really need to get together and connect and truly align on, on you know, what the problem they are trying to solve and why. And then from there, they should think critically on how they're going to go about solving the problem and who they think they want to support the project. I think the how and the who are sometimes missed over so much because people are like, oh, this is the great idea. We need to just go. And and this is because we're going to do it. And if that why isn't really entrenched there, then sometimes that can uh, ultimately hurt them in the end as well. And then from there, they should then collect feedback from additional team members once they've kind of formed this hypothesis and do it in an interactive setting, preferably, uh, you know, have some fun around it, right? And so I've seen this done in workshops or, or other ways, but but the more times it's, it's looked at as a positive direction, or even when the company's in a tough spot, it's a, it's a good way to build up some morale. And if you can do it more of an interactive set, setting, that, that's great. I know that's a little bit harder you know, as, as things have become a little bit more online and remote, but use it as an opportunity to get the team together or, or do it over Zoom or, or get, it, get it done in a creative way. And then you know, from there, this can create momentum and, and that creates open feedback loops of, of what people are, are seeing and hearing. And sometimes it doesn't mean that if you have negative feedback, that's a bad thing. Sometimes people just want to kind of kumbaya in the meeting, but sometimes the tough conversations can, can allow people to move forward in, in the right way. And then I think during those conversations, people really need to align on the measurement of success. And like I said earlier, if we can look at this as this is a intent to increase employee morale and ultimately have us in a stance where we're, we're trying to innovate and we want your buy-in to help us do that, then I think it's going to help people in, in the long run. And then during this, you know, people need to be very transparent uh, and understand that it's an iterative process and feedback loops need to be fluid and they don't always work linearly. They can be very circular, but ultimately if the right foundational culture elements are established in these conversations, then it allows companies to, to move forward in, in the right matter. Innovation for established companies and enterprises 
isn't just sexy, it's essential to maintaining competitiveness in market leadership. We live in an incredibly dynamic world, a global world where you have entrepreneurs and emerging companies all over the place, sometimes from places you least expect it, that are trying to come in and disrupt your business. And the, the best defense is a good offense. So this is just critical to success. And thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on how best to do that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to learn a bit about Alex. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 1 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn or any other social media, or even spending money on ads but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18 minute call to learn more. Welcome back. We're talking to Alex Burkhart of Zuki. Let's find out a bit more about Alex. Alex, when you're working with clients, talk to me about the pain points that you solve and why they need you to get rid of the pain. I help solve whatever problem they really are identifying it is that they have. So that can look very different in, in, in many different circumstances. But oftentimes, People are so entrenched on having to deliver upon their core base business. They know that they want to innovate, that everybody wants to move the needle and be the next Amazon or Facebook or whatever. But they also know that reality sets in and that they have that innovator's dilemma, so to speak. And where can they focus and how? And so oftentimes we'll come in and help them think through that, right? We've been through it on multiple different sides of the equation. And so... That's, that's our kind of secret sauce almost, so to speak, because we can really dissect their problem and then hopefully help them find a glide path that allows them to focus more on the innovation and then not getting so sucked into what I would call the mitigation of their current business or the delivery of their current business. So that's, that's how I would probably wrap up uh, the, the, the biggest problem that we help them kind of attack is just freeing up their mind and, and cr helping them create that culture and whether that's continued education on their end or, or even flexing in and however we can help them to find talent or anything across the board. Alex, when a big company enterprise is looking to bring in an outsider or a consultant, I've never known them to look for someone who is average, someone who's mediocre. They want the best. So tell us what makes you and Zuki great at what you do. Yeah, I think it's we, we roll up our sleeves. Yes, we can be theoretical and, and talk through all the principles of innovation that I teach at my course at the University of Cincinnati. And, you know, sometimes people feel that, you know, consultants or people come in and, and they might just, all right, that's great. You've helped me understand this. But, but now what am I going to do? And then therefore, they're ultimately looking to have people help execute. Well, what we like to say is we're not only helping people learn or and to use a kind of a cliche analogy, we're, we're helping them, you know, 
large fish, so to speak, right? And not just giving them a fishing pole. And and so what I mean by that is sometimes that requires me to take the fishing pole and and, and throw it in the water with them and, and catch a couple for them. And and I think that they see that my ability to accelerate and and take a concept into reality to do whatever it takes to help them do so. Again, I have to be careful there, right? Because it's not my intention. I can't just come in and be a running back, so to speak. Uh, but oftentimes, if I have to flex in with my team to do that, to show our credibility and our proof, we will with the intent that they're going to have to find the people that think like us, that move like us and communicate a- a- accordingly. So I think that's one of the things that really makes us exceptional is that we're versatile on all sides. We have a clear intent of what we want to do, but we're willing to roll up our sleeves to, to help however we can. I encourage everybody to go to LinkedIn, check out Alex's profile, because I think you'll see this great set of experience and the different perspectives that he's talked about. You'll see it all laid out there uh, on the LinkedIn profile. But Alex, I have a slightly different question for you. Talk to me about what happened in your life that would most explain why you're doing what you're doing today. Yeah, this is this is a funny one that I, I talk about sometimes, but not always because, you know, a little vulnerable at times. Right. But it goes back to when I was 14 years old and I was uh, all into sports at that time. Just started my high school career was, you know, the starting quarterback. Not that I was that good, but I was the starting quarterback and and had a life moment that kind of just disrupted, so to speak, everything about my life. I ruptured my spleen and kidney, had you know hours to live, was lifelighted, saw my mother almost uh look a little bit panicked, right? While I was having oxygen and blood transfusions. And I just had that life defining moment and, and not to be all gooey gooey here. Right. And, but, but I did, I had that moment that I said, Hey, life's just too short not to try to give it all your all to, to shock the world. And so I've done that and everything that I've done. Right. And, and that has guided me to why I went and studied entrepreneurship, why I worked for big corporations like Macy's corporate offices and Procter and Gamble. It's why I've started my own companies from scratch and, and successfully sold one of them and why I do what I do, you know, as a serial kind of entrepreneur alongside uh, this consulting, you know, practice with Zuki. And so it kind of ultimately goes back into the name of the company. People are always like Zuki. What's, what's that mean? Well, that's why you go to what is Zuki.com because everybody says, what is Zuki? And for me, yes, it's an innovation and marketing, marketing consultancy as, as our what, but our why exemplifies kind of a part of my, my life moment that I still can't explain why I made it through and why I've done what I've done today. And so everybody has their term, coincidence, luck, fate. Well, I call it Zuki. And there's just ways that you bring things together in a serendipitous way. And if you connect the right people at the right time, then things just happen. And so a lot of that tailors back to just that life moment uh, that I sometimes don't want to always think about because it was probably one of the lower parts of my life. But because I went through that, because I overcame that, it's allowed me to do a lot of the things that I do in an accelerated fashion. Because again, you never know when today's your last day. Innovation is one of those things that we love to talk about. Sometimes we even love to do, but so few people are really good at the nuts and bolts of how you actually do it, do it right, and shift the odds in your favor. Alex, you're clearly one of those people. I have no doubt that we've got people in the audience that would love to reach out to you, continue this conversation. What is the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, probably the best way is if you just go to whatiszuki.com. There's a lot of different ways that you can 
stay in touch or you can take flight, so to speak, we say, uh, or feel free to, to reach out to me at alex at whatisdp.com and would love to start our conversation there as well. So to make it easy for everybody, I will drop Alex's contact information into the show notes and as an insert into the video. Well, Alex, what a tremendous conversation in the world of B2B shows, video, podcasts. As you probably know, it's competitive. Everybody's always fighting to get the top guests. I'm going to say, and, and I say this with all humbleness, I've done it yet again. I've gotten an amazing guest like you to come on and share with our tremendous audience. And I know my competitors are one, looking on with a bit of jealousy. Two, I know that if they were sitting in my chair, they'd be dancing, they'd be celebrating, they'd say in another amazing show in the books. But one of the reasons that I'm in this chair and they are not is because that's not good enough for me. I want more. I think you're a great guy. I believe in you and what you can bring to the table. And I'm saying, let's up the ante a little bit. Let's get more value for our amazing audience. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Alex, what else can you do for our audience besides the wisdom that you shared today? First, I appreciate all those kind words. That, that was too much. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, one thing, uh, and one of our consulting clients, uh, it's a it's a venture capitalist uh, in Northern Kentucky, Greater Cincinnati area. Uh, we've kind of co-created a behavioral assessment, and uh, I find it to be very, very beneficial in almost all things I do in life. I almost even have my family take it now, and sometimes they they hate me for it. But it it is really designed almost like the Moneyball approach uh, for finding the right talent in the innovation space, and so uh, I find it to almost be very fascinating and a great tool that doesn't take very much time, less than 10 minutes. And, and I'd love to give you guys the opportunity to, to take it for free. Uh, so if, if you go to wendell.io slash invite Suzuki, you'll actually be able to fill out some information and you'll take the assessment and you'll understand your behavioral assessment and, and what they would call their behavioral assessment called team print. So a lot of people are probably familiar with Myers-Briggs and Enneagram and so forth. But this is a really unique up and coming tool that's all around this space. How do you find the right people, whether it's a venture capitalist trying to invest in somebody or a large corporation trying to bring in an innovative thinker? Uh, this test helps do that and ultimately shows how people interact within a team. So I hope you find it really valuable and you want to learn more about the tool and also what Zuki can can do for you. Alex, with your permission, make it even easier for our audience. What I want you to do, just shoot Alex an email. Tell Alex in the email that you heard him on the Best Kept Secret show and tell him you want that assessment and he'll give you all the URLs and the links response. Thank you, Alex. This was tremendous. You've added a lot of common sense and insight into this very popular but very tricky subject of innovation. So thank you for being a fabulous guest. To our audience, let's continue to crush it out there. Until next time.